Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 48. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we delight to come before you again this morning, eager for the word that you have prepared for us, like a meal for our souls, Lord. We come in hungrier than we know, more broken than we can imagine, and yet at the very same moment, more loved and cherished and adored than we could ever in all of eternity actually comprehend. So I pray that that reality, Lord, would continue to seep into our hearts today, that even those places that we're afraid to look, that we would look, because you're not surprised by what you find. It's why you came. We honor you this morning, Lord Jesus. We turn our heart's attention to you, and we give you the praise that is due your name, in the only name that is lifted high above all others the name at which every knee bows and every tongue confesses, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen, amen. and amen. You may be seated. So how many of you have ever watched this show before? Come on, Price is Right, right? You know the song, you know it, right? Right? George, you're the next contestant on The Price is Right. Come on down, right? Like you've seen that before. And you see the look on their faces when they get called. Like this is an action shot, which is why it's so blurry. But it's like, yay, I might get a new car. I might get a new vacation. I might get both. Yay, right? But then every time you watch this game show, 
you also see a little bit of this, where some of the people who are called up front never actually make it to the stage. They're the ones who feel like they've been chosen. They've, been, they've, they've received special grace. They're in, but not quite enough. They're the ones who never really get this, the secret information, the next level stuff, the deeper stuff that it seems like others kind of get and know. And instead what happens is they're left in front for all to see their shame. Question, for how many of us does this feel like our relationship with God? Others get it. They just get it. I don't know why they get it, how they get it, but I, do, I, don't, I don't get it. There are places where I feel like I'm growing and other places where I feel like I'm not. Or for some of us, I feel like I, I come to a place like this, to a church service, and there's a sense in which there's a, a big invitation to come. And I, I've heard that my whole life growing up. But what I've found is when I even consider it, this is the only place I seem to find myself. Full of shame. Exposed never making it on stage. If you can relate to that even a little, then please know that God has you here for a reason. Because that's where we're going this morning as we continue in our sermon series through the book of Acts that we're calling the, the mission of the Holy Spirit. And if you remember, the book of Acts is the birth of the church. It is the time post-resurrection after Jesus walked the earth for 40 days and then instructed his disciples and said, wait 10 more days. He didn't tell them 10 more days. He said, just wait. Wait until the Holy Spirit falls on you with power so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is the unfolding of that mission and that Holy Spirit power and authority for God to literally bring the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of earth. What we saw last week is that Jesus is hope for the hopelessly unclean. That there are areas in our own lives where we feel like, if God really knew that about me, he wouldn't love me. If I really took the risk to expose this aspect of myself that I already know I can't fix, God wouldn't love me. Or even worse, I think there's something down there. I'm not sure what it is. But I see the fruit of it in my life and I'm really afraid to look. Last week what we saw was story after story after story of people who could not change themselves, like Cornelius, who just so happens to be a Gentile, a Roman, who would never fully be a Jew. He would never fully fit in. He would never fully have access to the temple. He would never fully have access to God. There was something about him that was broken from birth. And yet even in that story, what did we see? But that our God is the God who brings hope to the hopelessly broken. That even there, God already knows, and it's precisely why Jesus came. This morning, here's our theme. The shockingly inclusive love of the one and only Savior. The shockingly inclusive love of the one and only Savior. Two points, Lord of all and Holy Spirit evidence. First, 
Lord of all. We are jumping into a story, and it's the second half of it. And so if you weren't here last week, you're like, okay, what's going on? Uh, It seems like there were some details that took place that I'm not aware of. Well, let me give you a little bit of background. What What you have in this passage is Cornelius, who happens to be a Roman centurion, who is following God the best he can, even when he knows there are parts of himself he cannot change. Parts that are fundamentally broken because he's not Jewish. He's on the outside, but he is faithful. Please don't miss that. Because what we end up doing, oftentimes when we look at the, bro- the broken parts of ourselves that we know we can't fix, is we say this. Either I'm just okay, it should be okay, God should be okay with those parts of me, even though we know we're not. He's not, and we're not. But then we give up hope. We say, well, this is just the, the, the worst thing. We go into depression. We, we, we go after things that are supposed to take God's place, like drugs and alcohol and porn and anything else that we're going to run to, and both of those are the wrong decision. Let me encourage you to realize this, friends. The way forward, if you feel like you're stuck in an unfixable place, in a broken place, is to pursue the Lord faithfully. Faithful pursuit of God is the context for divine transformation. Faithful pursuit of God is the context for divine transformation. If you say, I'm mad at you, God, and so I'm gonna go find life and meaning and purpose over here where you're not. So some people say, I'm not going to church anymore because I'm sick and tired of that God, so I'm out. And guess what they do? They leave church, and guess who they don't find? God. Because God's the one who says things like, if you want to know me, get steeped in my word. If you want to know me, pray without ceasing. If you want to know me, don't stop meeting together as a church, as some are in the habit of doing. Not because we're the best thing since sliced bread, because he's glorious and able and faithful, and he's already shown us the way forward. If you're stuck, keep pursuing him in the ways that he has told us to pursue him, not in your own idea of what that looks like. Your own idea is how you got to where you're at. How's that working? God wants us to faithfully pursue him so that he can change us. And when we choose to do that over time, listen, it is hard, but it is worth it. Most things that are worth it are not easy, but they're worth it. And there's nothing more worth it than him. So you see from the beginning of our passage for this morning, Peter is declaring this. I now know God shows no partiality. Why is he declaring that? Because he's literally received a vision from God to go to someone's house that he was not supposed to go to. Jews are not supposed to associate with Gentiles. Go to this Gentile's house and what I have called clean, don't you dare call unclean. God's saying, I'm doing something here. That this ceremonial system, this temple worship, all the stuff that was about clean laws and unclean laws, all that stuff has already been fulfilled. That's why Jesus came. The clean laws, if you missed it, were simply ways that God was showing the world that he's holy and we're not. And he chose a people named Israel, that through that people, two things would happen. One, Humanity would know no one, not even those who have God's special favor on them, can do this without God. Israel was supposed to learn that lesson, and they didn't. But the second thing they did in choosing Israel was he says, it's through this people that I'm going to bring the one who can. 
So God chooses a nation to bring a person so that he can save the world. God chooses a nation to bring a person. That, that person's name is Jesus so that he can save the world. What does this peace through Christ look like in our passage this morning? Because Peter declares, I now know that there's peace through Christ. Well, there's lots of layers to that. First of all, enmity with God. James 4.4 says, don't you know that friendship with this world is enmity towards God? Have you ever thought about that before? That to to the degree that we lean in and say, you know what? I like culture's way of doing this better than God's way of doing this. We are literally saying to God, I hate you. It's hatred towards God because there's no middle ground. There's not a gray area. We do this with ourselves so often. We give ourselves middle ground, gray areas. We say, well, you know, I'm kind of in the middle. It should be okay because a half-truth is a what? Whole lie. A half-truth is a whole lie. So halfway obedience is a whole disobedience. Half-trust is a whole distrust. Do you see that? It is surrender or it is not surrender. Not surrender is coup. It is fighting back. It is rebelling. It is not neutral. There is no neutral. God's constantly trying to get our attention, even in the first pages of the book of Acts, because he wants us to see our actual condition. And friends, if you're walking with the Lord right now, and you're, you're wanting more of this, and you're like, man, I'm not sure what to do with this. Here's what to do with it. Ask God to reveal to you the places in your heart and life where you are living in rebellion and you don't see it. There's a lot of you in here who are like, I'm on fire for Jesus right now. The Holy Spirit's moving. I want this. I'm all in. Yes. And you know what's in the way of deeper growth for you? Hidden sin, bitterness, brokenness that you're not aware of, not because you weren't a part of it, simply because you've pushed it down. You've repressed it. It's down there somewhere. And you see it come out in you, but you're not quite sure why. Ask the Lord to show you. And then ask him to heal you. He never says no to that, friends. Enmity with God, this, this reality of the, the peace that Jesus brings is simply this. Jesus is the one who comes to take all of that enmity that we have pushed up towards God and therefore deserve his wrath, and he has carried our iniquity. He has worn our sorrows. The chastisement that brought us peace was laid upon him, and by his wounds, we are healed. That's Isaiah 53, friends. And it's the truth that changes everything. And so if you're tired this morning, you're like, I don't know how much longer I can stay awake, you can go to sleep now. You just heard the good news, okay? Not if you're online, you need to stay awake, all right? The good news of Jesus Christ is enmity with God has been taken care of. But I want you to hear this. The other part of that enmity, there's three aspects to it, at least. The second part is enmity with ourselves, Hatred towards ourselves, that stuff inside of us that we despise, that part of ourselves that we don't like, that we wish was different, that Paul says, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I know I'm supposed to do, I don't do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? That's Romans 7. That's the Apostle Paul. If he struggled with it, why are we surprised that we do? God already knows what's going on in here. 
when you feel like I'm a hypocrite, I'm a fraud. I want to live this way, but I'm not. Friends, he already sees. And he's not standing over your shoulder, wagging his finger, tisking you, tisk, 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 you know? He's not waiting to drop the hammer on you, no matter what you experienced growing up. He's pursuing you because he knows you're trapped. And he wants, by his Holy Spirit, to set you free. So to quote the Apostle Paul again in Romans 8, if we continue to live by the flesh, by the old way of thinking, we will die. We'll just continue to walk in death. But if we live according to the Spirit, we will live. In a way that he then unpacks like this, we'll learn to refer to God as Daddy, Abba, Father, We'll learn our identity is real and secure even as we share in the sufferings of Christ. We don't like that combination, right? It's like, how about we share in something else? We say, no, no, you don't understand. Broken world, things are broken. Pain and sorrow happen in this world. And God has promised to meet us there more than any other place it's why so many look at the church and like, oh, the church is for weak and broken people. Yes, and you are. To the degree that we think we're not weak or broken, we won't come to the one who's called the weak, the sick, and the broken. And therefore, we will miss out on what only God can do. The third area of where peace comes in through Christ is this idea of discrimination that we see in our passage between the Jews and the Gentiles. And on every level we see it, right? And so when you think about James and John, they're called the sons of thunder. Why did they get that name? Well, because when they went with Jesus into the Samaritan side of town, which the Samaritans were the half-breeds. Do you hear it? They were born broken, unclean, unlovable, dirty, other. They were born that way. They can't change it on their own. And so the Jews who were not born that way, who think they're special because they weren't born that way, which that's their problem. He's special. That's why we get to share his good news. Not we're special. That's why he loves us. Who's in the center? Him. So James and John, when Jesus brings them into the Samaritan side of town and the Samaritans reject Jesus, what do they say? Do you remember? Hey, do you want us to call down lightning from heaven? Some fire? You want it to come down so we can consume the Samaritans? Because everyone knows we hate the Samaritans. That was their starting point. Racism, discrimination. Have you experienced that in your life? Do you know what that feels like? It's all over the pages of Scripture. It is absolutely the story of God's people, both against them and from them. It's absolutely the story of every human being who's ever walked the earth. Because the struggle in our lives is to not have us in the center. When I'm in the center and I take God's place, everyone around me loses for every possible reason. When he's in the center, I lay down my life for the people around me and everyone wins. Amen. So what you see in this, in this passage is 
this idea of peace coming through Christ. And you see with, with James and John, these sons of thunder, I think we missed it. Well, we didn't miss it. We're just waiting. When we went through Acts chapter 8, you remember when we were talking about Simon the magician? And where were they? Where was Simon the magician? Do you remember? Samaria. Huh. And who was sent to minister to the new believers in Samaria? Do you remember? Peter and John, one of the sons of thunder. In this go around, John doesn't say, You all deserve fire. John says, have you heard the good news that changed my life? Do you know this is the very last time in scripture that we see the apostle John? That guy in Acts doing his thing. It's the very last time in Acts, I should say, that we see John doing his thing. Do you think that's by mistake? Do you think that's by mistake? Or is God saying something here? about what he's actually doing and what Jesus did on the cross when it said he removed the wall of hostility, the dividing wall that kept one race from another race because we were all made to be one family, one father, one Lord, one spirit, one faith, one baptism, all in Christ Jesus. Jesus is Lord of all. It's what he declares in this passage. And so... Here's the, here's the point, right? God really meant it when he said he loved the world. That doesn't sound too profound to you? God really meant it when he said he loved the world. That he wasn't coming just for this people or for this particular uh, time or for this particular gender or for this particular race. He loves the world. For God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. Have you ever seen those signs in the football games? That's the best scripture, right? Because that proclaims the truth of who our Jesus is and what our God has done. And so his invitation in Matthew chapter 11, when he says, come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, and I will give you rest for your souls. He actually meant it, friends, not just for us, but for the world. Now, I want to do a little bit of a tangent here. Because I think there's something worth noting about what's going on in our world versus what we see in our passage. And I don't want you to miss it. Because you see, inclusivity is a buzzword in our culture right now. And it's a buzzword that is oftentimes used to actually exclude Christianity. And so under the auspices of being inclusive, those who want to champion that inclusivity often say this, well, because Christianity does not believe the things that we believe, we are going to exclude Christianity under the banner of inclusivity. If you just got lost, just watch the videotape, right? It is absolutely mind-numbing and completely dizzying to follow the lack of logic that happens in these cases, But friends, I want you to hear something very clearly this morning. Jesus is utterly inclusive for humans. Everyone can come. But where is Jesus completely and absolutely exclusive when it comes to the role of Savior? Don't miss what's going on here. Jesus is 
utterly inclusive. Everyone can come, male and female, young and old, no matter what country you come from, no matter what color your skin is, no matter what you've done, everyone is welcome. What you are not welcome to do is to then take and assume upon yourself the role of savior. It's by definition undermining the very reason why you would come. Would Jesus be loving if he said to us, yes, come, you be savior today. You be king. You be creator. You hold everything together in the palm of your hands. You don't even know what you're going to have for lunch today. Maybe some of you do. You're like, oh, I got you. I know what I'm going to have for lunch. (laughs) Yeah, watch what God does to that lunch plan, friends. Right? We, we are not in control is the point. And for God to allow us to play like we're in control would be utterly unloving. Utterly unloving. And in our culture, that's precisely what's going on. We call it secularism, and it is a trap. Secularism is a religion. It's used to describe something that is neutral. What did we talk about today? Is there neutral? There is no neutral. Secularism is describing something that is, well, this isn't religion, it's secular. Lie. That is wrong. Secularism is shorthand for secular humanism, which is the worship of self. There's a Trinitarian God there as well, me, myself, and I. I worship me, I'm in control, I'm my own God, and everyone else is also their own God, and we all agree on it. So you could be Christian, Muslim, Hindu, whatever you want to be, as long as you are first and foremost secular. That is the God of our age, and I will continue to call it out in Jesus' name until he has undermined and undone all of the plots of the enemy and his schemes. Friends, we need to be done playing this game. We need to be done playing this game because it is trapping our children and the next generation. We need to be boldly proclaiming truth in love, of course, but boldly proclaiming the truth that is a trap to worship self. And it is utterly freeing and completely welcoming to all to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the one that we need, friends, and no one else. Think about it like this, right? Doctors Without Borders. How many of you are familiar with that organization? Awesome. Doctors Without Borders, they go all around the world to developing countries, they set up tents, and they they work on anyone who needs help. They say, all are welcome. And who's going to come? The sick. Does that sound like anyone? Anyone, Anything that Jesus has said before? (laughs) Right? Only the sick need a doctor. Only those who know they have need are going to come. But at no point in the interactions of setting up the tents, of of checking people in, of doing their exams, do the doctors then say to the patient, now you can be the doctor. That would be insane, let alone unhealthy, unhelpful, and dangerous. And yet, it's the very thing we want to do with the great physician himself. It's the very thing we're told to do and forced to do to do in our culture if we want to fit in. He's not God. I'm God. And I pick and choose which parts of his advice I want to follow. Beloved, it is a trap. We don't do that in any area of life. When you get hired by one of the the big accounting firms, you don't on your first day go up to the CEO and say, guess what? I have your position now. You're demoted. You won't work there very long, will you? Right? 
with teachers and students. We don't say to our students, hey, you're now in the classroom. Let me sit down. You get up and teach everyone. Unless we're trying to model something in the classroom, we would never let our students assume the role of teacher. And in our homes, please hear this. We must stop allowing our children to be their own parents. Our culture worships the love of self. And when we allow our children to make their own decisions as little ones who lack wisdom, experience, and knowledge, that's called child abuse. And we will be held responsible for our kids. If anyone should cause one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better that a millstone be tied around his or her neck and they be thrown into the heart of the sea. Do you hear it? Jesus cares for the little ones. Let the little ones come to me, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. We must stand for truth. Children thrive in boundaries. If you take a fish out of water and you say, you're free, what have you done to the fish? You've killed it. Our children need boundaries so that they too can thrive. God has established them for us and as parents and as a church family, we need to stand for them. Not so that we can tisk tisk. that's not the point. So that we can say, go to him. This is the way, this is the path that keeps you from all these traps. Life, light, and forever are found in him. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want you to notice one more thing before we get to our second point. And that is simply this. When Peter is talking to Cornelius, and when Luke is recording this account, they don't prove the existence of miracles. They point to the reality of miracles as proof that Jesus did what he said he did. Please don't miss that. Again, in our culture, what we're taught is, oh, supernatural doesn't happen. Lie. The supernatural happens all over the place, and I'm about to tell you a story, a couple of them. So keep listening. But he does not seek to prove the supernatural. He simply says, you all saw it. We saw it. We're testimony. We're, we're eyewitnesses. Our testimony is to the fact that these things happen, and because they happened, we now know that Jesus is who he claimed to be. But there's something else that happens in our passage that's more evidence, and that's the Holy Spirit evidence. The Holy Spirit says it falls on the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit comes, and this is the turning point. And if you are of Jewish descent or have family or friends who are Jewish, please don't miss this point. The Jews who came with Peter, Jesus was Jewish, by the way, in case we're not all on the same page. All of the original followers of Jesus were Jewish. All of them, right? With maybe a few handful exceptions that we've read along the way. The Jews who were with Peter were not surprised that the Holy Spirit fell, but surprised that it fell on non-Jews. And so it's unpacking what we've been talking about, discrimination, but please don't miss this. In their minds and hearts, and in every mind and heart of those who were first century Jews, they were waiting for the Messiah and through his miracles and resurrection, they saw that he came. 
there was no doubt in their minds that Jesus was for the Jews. We, in our culture, in the 21st century, we interact with Jesus as if he's the Gentile God. He's the Gentile Savior, because we have a lot of Jewish friends and family that reject Jesus, right? He's not for me. Please realize you are ahistorical to take that perspective. The only perspective that there was for those who were Jewish following Jesus was Jesus is for the Jews. He's the, our Messiah. He's not for the Gentiles. He's for us. Don't miss this. Because when it blows open and includes the Gentiles, it's simply because the majority of the Jews back then said no to Jesus. He said, it's always been for the world, but it came through the Jews, and it's for the Jews first because it came through the Jews. And so if you're struggling with that because you are of Jewish descent and you're wrestling with, I don't know about this, Jesus, please realize the history here is that Jesus, the Jew, came as Messiah for the Jews, and those who followed him were all Jewish and were were thinking the entire time that this was just going to be for the Jews. Let that soak in, friends, and realize the good news that's there for you. Let's talk about a couple of things we see in our passage for this morning, and then some stories. First, what is this stuff about Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit baptism, Holy Spirit falling, Holy Spirit filling. What is all this stuff? Because we see it in Acts, and we're going to continue to see it in Acts. Well, just very briefly know this. There's lots of disagreement about what these words mean falling, filling, because they're used in different ways. And a lot of people get really hot under the collar when it comes to things like Holy Spirit baptism. It happens right when you're saved, or it happens after you're saved, or it happens multiple times, or it happens only once. And you know what? It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. What matters is the Holy Spirit. Whatever vocabulary you want to use, because the English translation uses lots of the same word for different Greek words. And so some of the blame, at least, is on our English translators. But at the end of the day, what we're looking for is, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? What is God actually doing? And so I want you to think about about it like this. When the Holy Spirit fills us, part of that is at our conversion. He is absolutely in control of what's called regeneration, where our heart is turned from stone to flesh and we are alive in Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, and I will die on that hill. Now, what happens after that? Well, there's a reality to which we always have the Holy Spirit. We don't lose the Holy Spirit. He doesn't seep out of us, right? Like, but he wants us to continue to pursue filling, fullness, so that we live in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's, it's spiritual character language. It's maturity language. And it's meant to be played out and lived into for our entire lives. Are you following so far? Yes? Okay, I got one person who's awake. Good. The other part of this is Holy Spirit filling. I mean, falling, rather. And the falling is simply this. Think of it like this. The Holy Spirit falls on people for a purpose. Can you say that with me? The Holy Spirit falls on people for a purpose, right? And so when, when uh, who's the strong judge guy? What's his name? Samson, right? Samson. When Samson, who, by the way, was not jacked, he was supernaturally strong. 
So the Holy Spirit falls on this regular-looking dude, and all of a sudden he has supernatural strength so that he can go out and defeat God's enemies. That's Holy Spirit falling. The Holy Spirit falls on King Saul so that he can prophesy at one point, right? The Holy Spirit falls on the people in our passage for this morning, both in terms of salvation, but also so that they could do things like speak in tongues, which we're about to talk about in a second. Well, here it is, speaking in tongues. What is speaking in tongues? Well, sometimes it means the Lord gives us a divine gift in, in knowing a different, a foreign language. Missionaries who go on the mission field and who go to you know, some tribe that they've never heard of before, that they don't know the language, and suddenly they're fluent in it. That happens, friends. That's part of speaking in tongues. But specifically, there is a, a heavenly language called tongues, the tongues of angels, that the Lord talks about in passages like 1 Corinthians 13, even if I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I am but a clanging gong and a clashing cymbal. Right? Speaking about this tongues language. What is, what is tongues all about? Well, the Bible tells us very clearly. One part of tongues is so that it, it builds us up in the faith. Some of us in this room have what's called a private prayer language, where God has met us, and we speak to God in a language that we don't understand. But you know, when you speak in that language, you're full of his love and peace and joy. And your heart resounds with him, and you feel his pleasure. The gift of tongues, however, is not just a private prayer language. Sometimes in the church it's meant to be, have, to be prophetic, that God gives the gift of tongues and there's supposed to be someone to interpret so that everyone could be edified. Why are we talking about this? Because it's in our passage. Because I want you to know a little bit about it. Because it matters. Because some of you are wondering, like, what do we do with this tongue stuff? But let me say this again very clearly. Because there are some within Christian tribes that care far too much about the gift of tongues than we ever will at this church. The gift of tongues is one of many gifts, and we praise God for them. But at the end of the day, the one who's in the center is Jesus and his Holy Spirit. Amen. And so whatever God has gifted you in, and he has, did you hear that? He has gifted you. Whatever God has gifted you in, what he wants for you to do is to walk in those gifts. So water baptism is something else we see in our passage for this morning. What is water baptism? Again, there's a lot in Christendom that get this wrong, who think, well, if you're not baptized with water, you're not truly saved. Really? What happened to the thief on the cross? Did they take him down, baptize him, and then he went to be with Jesus in paradise? No. But the norm, the obedient way, the way where we say something happened on the inside that I want to proclaim on the outside is for us to be water baptized, which is why we keep seeing it throughout Scripture. The promise of God is to do the inside work. I will sprinkle you with clean water and you will be clean. I will put my Holy Spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, right? God does the inside work, but he wants us to demonstrate that work on the outside always. All right, you guys have been awesome. This has been a lot of information, more than maybe regularly we talk about, but I just want to encourage you that sometimes we need to learn stuff, right? Not just feel stuff, but learn stuff. Why? Because if we don't know what's going on in the passage, then we won't know what God's calling us to do and be. Because there's many of us in here who do not believe Peter's words, that God is a God of no partiality. That God is a God who has replaced circumcision, meaning ethnically uh, the same, 
right? There's no difference. It's, it's for the Jewish people and for no one else. With anointing, which he says in our passage, is literally for everyone. So as he writes to the church in Corinth, this Holy Spirit, we all have a share in him, and he's given each of us gifts for the mutual edification of the body that all of us would grow up together into Christ who is our head. There are some of you here this, this day, this morning, and online who really struggle to believe that. It's, it's this picture. It's other people who get it, other people who are seen, other people who are able, but not me. Not me, I don't, I don't get that. So God does have favorites. He does practice partiality. And I'm looking at some of our kids right now. And I want you guys to listen in. If, you, if you're not listening, listen up. Because I, I want you to realize that this is just as much for you as it is for us. I love what Pastor Tommy talks about a lot when he says, there is no junior Holy Spirit. I love that line. We all get the same Holy Spirit. And what God wants us to do, if we're feeling like I'm outside of this, this isn't for me, what he wants us to do is to pursue his face first. Do you hear me? Do not pursue the hands of God as if we're using God as a holy vending machine. I put the prayer in, I pull the lever, and God gives me what I want. Wrong. Pursue the face of God. Know the heart of God. Grow in intimacy with the Lord. Surrender your desires to him. And then as he fills you with his love, that's when you begin to ask, Lord, fill me with your presence and your spirit and your fruit. Lord, fall freshly upon me with whatever gifts you want me to have for this purpose, for your purpose in my life and in your world. Lord, use me that the Spirit might baptize others with new life and new growth and new breakthrough. Come and use me to that end. But friends, if we don't do the intimacy part first, we should not be surprised when we don't get the fruit part. God is not interested in being used by us for our purposes. God is interested in bringing us up to a glorious place where we know the heart of the Father and that heart so fills us through the spirit of the living God that I want nothing more than to be with you. Nothing more. And I surrender all to be with you. And now fill me. Fall fresh upon me. And use me for whatever ends you would have. Even when it includes suffering. Even when it includes loss. Lord, use me. And empower me to do the things you're calling me to do. My beloved kids, I want you to hear this story. Because there is a story in the Bible that's all about you. You may not have thought about it like this before. One of the judges that we were talking about before, his name was Gideon, and here's what he said. I'm the smallest. I come from the smallest tribe, the smallest clan, and I'm the weakest one in it. Do you hear him? He's saying, I don't know how to do this. I feel overwhelmed, and everyone around me looks at me like I'm a little kid. When Gideon was was on the planet, 
the Midianites were the chief enemy of God, and they were described as locusts. It's plague language. There are so many of them. There are hundreds of thousands of warriors that were invading Israel, and all the Israelites were terrified because of this. And it says that God comes to Gideon, and he calls him this. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. <laughs> to which Gideon laughed. He's this weak, insignificant, last guy you pick for the team. No one's looking in his direction, and God calls him a mighty man of valor. Why? Because God's a liar? God just really wanted to encourage him, but they all know the truth. He's really a weakling. Or is it because God was going to do something through Gideon that only God can do? But Gideon was going to, listen, share in that glory. So God has Gideon gather the forces of Israel against, remember, hundreds of thousands of enemy. And it says they gather 32,000 soldiers. Doesn't sound like great odds, does it? And God says, it's too many. Narrow them down. So he says to him, anyone who doesn't want to be here, go home. And he's left with 10,000 soldiers. God says, still too many. Could you see Gideon? He's like, yeah, sure, God. Yep, too many, too many. My knees are knocking right now, by the way, in case you couldn't see that. Too many, God. I guess, I guess you're right. Because Gideon the whole time is believing, it, it's not going to happen for me. I'm not the right kind of guy. I'm the guy in the front at Price is Right. Like, you've said this, but I don't think you're going to come through for me because my whole life is bearing testimony to the opposite. When in fact, Gideon's whole life was getting him ready for this moment. Gideon couldn't see it. But if Gideon was God and Lord of his life, he never would have lived it. So God says to him, narrow it down again. Have everyone go drink by the river. And everyone who laps up the water like a dog needs to go home. But those who cup their hands and drink it can stay. And he's left with 300 men. 300 to fight hundreds of thousands. There is no humanly possible way that they come out the victors. There isn't. And yet if you know the story, God, the mighty warrior, comes to fight for his people. And he causes confusion in the Midianite camp while Gideon is blowing trumpets in the middle of the night and they're rolling down these pottery vases or whatever and they're full of fire and all of a sudden it looks like they're being attacked and they start attacking themselves and the Midianites destroy themselves. And Gideon wins because the hand of God was for him and with him. Why are we sharing this story? Because so often... Whether you're 12 years old or 50 years old, we think God can't do that through me. And yet this book we call the Bible is full of stories of God doing that through the least likely of heroes because he is great. And when he works through those of us who already know we can't do it, he gets the glory and we all share in it. That's his desire, friends. So here's the question for you, especially for our kids or for any of you who can relate to this. Where have you said no to God before he's even shown you what he wants you to do? Where are you allowing fear to be what keeps you from actually hearing God calling you to step out in faith 
so that he can do mighty things through you. Because, beloved, every one of us has been gifted for mission. Every one of us. Now, I realize as I'm sharing this that there are some of you in here who feel like I've skipped the first step. Because before you can even get to being called and gifted for mission, you have to believe that God sees you first. And that he cares for you. And that he's going to do everything necessary to take care of what's wrong. I've got another story for you. On Ash Wednesday, this past week, or a week and a half, I get a phone call in the morning as we're getting ready for our Ash Wednesday stations that our beloved Tracy has, is going to the emergency room because it seems like she's having her second heart attack. She has all of the symptoms of a heart attack that she had the first time. High blood pressure, nauseous, can't feel her hands, can't feel her feet. Her oxygen level is low. She drives herself to the hospital. First of all, please don't do that. Right? Get someone else to drive you. Um, somehow I get there before her. And she comes walking in and starts to cry. And right away I know God's going to do something. She wasn't crying because she was having a heart attack. She was crying because in her core she believed that God didn't care. So we go, they usher us right back to the back room. Good Sam's great for heart stuff, by the way. They usher us right back, and they start doing an EKG on her to see where she's at, get her baseline. And you know, when they do an EKG, they need to mess with your clothing, and I'm not about to stand there. So I say, Tracy, I'm going to go behind the curtain so you can do your thing. And the nurse says, thanks. The nurse's name was Tracy. She thought I was talking to her. Like, okay, uh, that's funny, God. You got, you got jokes. <laughs> they do the EKG, and then it's time to get some more information. And so they, they wheel her over, uh, sit, have her sit down on a chair. And the guy who's been with us the whole time is starting to take in the information. And uh, we find out very quickly that his name happens to be Chris. Now, for those of you who know Tracy, you know she has one son, one child. And his name is? Chris. So we're in the room where Tracy's struggling deeply with the lie that says, God does not see me, he does not care. And I'm afraid to even step out and believe for a second that he's gonna show up for me. And from the moment she walks in, God says, I see you, I know you, and I'm gonna do something here. So they usher us back to the emergency room, we're back in one of those rooms, and we're sitting there for a while, and there's no one that comes to check on us. The nurse checks us in originally, but I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is like awkward, God. Like, where, where are the people? Because the entire time, Tracy is shivering, shaking. She's freezing. She's nauseous, so I have the garbage can next to her head. She can't feel her hands or her feet. And her blood pressure, they've got all that on the, the thing there. Her oxygen is low. Her blood pressure is high. Everything is bad and wrong. And then finally someone comes in, they're going to try to take blood, and they can't get the blood, and, and there's all sorts of pain and agony, and, and you know how it is, and she's got a particular blood condition that makes it even harder, and so I'm outside the room, and, I'm, and I hear God say, get back in there. So I go back in, and I start praying out loud 
while the vampire, the phlebotomist, is taking blood, <laughs> right? And I'm holding Tracy's hand, and I'm just praying, come Holy Spirit. And I start praying the truth of Psalm 46, which I had already shared with Tracy earlier. And we start praying Psalm 23, about God being the one, Jesus being the good shepherd, to walk her through this valley. And we start commanding, in Jesus' name, her veins to open up so the blood can flow, and they do. We start commanding her, her blood pressure to go down in Jesus' name and for oxygen level to come up and for all of the arteries and blood, whatever is clogged, to be removed in Jesus' name and for feeling to return to her hands in Jesus' name and for feeling to return to her feet in Jesus' name. And we're praying and asking God to be glorified so that Tracy can know she, he sees her and so that everyone who's watching this can know God works miracles even today. And all of a sudden, Tracy looks up at me and she says, I can feel my hands and my feet. And all of a sudden, all of her levels go back to normal. All of her levels go back to normal. And Tracy says to me, she goes, I cannot believe this. I've, I've sat in this, in this, one of these seats, and I've been a 75% believer in miracles. Yeah, I hear you talking about it with other people. I just don't believe it's true for me. But now I know it's true, and I don't care if they think I'm crazy. I know who healed me. Hallelujah. And Tracy's sitting right back there, and she's allowing me to share this story with her permission, just so you know. But I want to encourage you to ask her about her experience. Because when I was sitting on Ash Wednesday, praying for some of you, I got a text. And it was Tracy reaching out, thanking me for being there, which is a, it's an honor to be there. When God shows up like that, it's glorious. But she said the oddest thing as she's sitting in the hospital, and they're going to keep her overnight for observation because they have no idea what, what happened. And they're like, maybe it was this. Maybe we should adjust your meds. We're not sure because it looked like you were having a heart attack, and now you're all better. She says, this is one of the greatest days of my life. Having a heart attack, one of the greatest days of my life. Because our God saves, our God sees, and our God works miracles to use us for his glory. <laughs> Friends, where are you struggling to believe that that same God sees you? That that same God can move mountains and promises to simply by us asking it's not that we're always going to get what we ask for. Please don't hear that. But what he's telling us to do is to seek him first. And when we seek him first, please don't miss this. We always get what we ask for. When we seek him first, we always get him. He never says no. Come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden. And I will give you rest, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light, and I have rest for your souls. When we seek him first, we always get what we're looking for. And then our hearts are ready to trust, no matter what he does. But beloved, don't stop asking for miracles. Because in those days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, 
Your young men will have visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Everyone, male, female, young, and old, will receive the Holy Spirit. And in having the Holy Spirit, we'll be able to move mountains for the sake of the king. You think that story is for Tracy alone? We just heard Gideon's story. Gideon lived 3,000 years ago. How many people are going to hear about Tracy 3,000 years from today? Let me tell you about what my God did for my great, 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 great grandmother. He wants to do that in us, friends. He wants your whole heart. And today you have an opportunity to give it to him. Let's do that together. Let's pray. Jesus, here we are. We're giving you our whole hearts to the best we know how. But even as we talked about this morning, Lord God, there are parts of our lives. There are things in us down deep that we don't even see. And other things that we do see that we're too afraid to look at and to go there. But I praise you, God, that your book, the Bible, is replete with story after story of those who've lived lives just like ours, with struggles just like ours, and you overcame again and again and again in their lives. And therefore, we have every reason to believe you will do the same for us. God, we praise you today for stories like Tracy's. We thank you that, God, you're not okay with heart attacks. And that the day is coming when all heart attacks will be healed. Hallelujah. But God, we also thank you for the inbreaking of your kingdom in moments like these that give us tangible evidence that there is a living God who works on behalf of his beloved to set us free from old fear, from the lies that would keep us from your heart so that Tracy could be more whole, so that we could be more whole, and so that your mission can go forth with power. And so here we are again freshly this day, Lord saying thank you. Thank you for how you love us. Thank you for how you know us. Thank you for how you see us and how you give us everything we need to walk in the way you've called us to walk. We give you our yes today, Jesus. We give you our yes, even as we hold up our fears. And we ask you to take them away in Jesus' name. To the spirit of fear and anxiety, I call you to attention in Jesus' name and tell you to go where Jesus sends you. Be gone. You're not welcome in this family anymore. To the spirit of condemnation that would keep us looking down, I call you to attention in Jesus' name and tell you to go where Jesus sends you. You're not welcome in this place anymore. the spirit of the air who would tempt us again freshly today to worship ourselves and not the maker and, and sustainer and redeemer of all things. I call you to attention in Jesus' name and tell you to go where Jesus sends you. Be gone in Jesus' name. To you, Holy Spirit, we welcome you to go deeper than we've ever had you in our lives. 
cleanse us, make us whole, and help us to walk by faith this day. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.